Welcome to The Leading Tone, a podcast that explores all aspects of all types of music. I'm Fernando. And I'm Alex, and welcome to the 22nd episode of The Leading Tone podcast. Today we discuss the top trends in pop and classical music this year, as well as the celebration of our launch of new weekly playlists from Spotify that'll go with our episodes. Super excited about that. But before we get into all of that, let's guess that lick. Welcome to Guess That Lick, our weekly quiz show that tests our musical memory. Each of us will bring an isolated excerpt of music, either from a recording or just a piano track recording, and the other co-host will have three listens to Guess That Lick. For a maximum of five points per episode, here is the scoring breakdown. One point each for the piece, the movement, the composer, the time period, and the genre. It's a race to the finish each month to see which co-host has the highest score. Without further ado, let's try and guess that lick. Alex has brought the lick in for me today, so I'll be guessing for the first time this month. Right. It's exciting. I think that you'll have some fun with this one. I think all five points are in effect. Yeah, I guess the movement wouldn't be in effect for this one, technically. So you, you kind of have a bonus with this one. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Let's take a listen. was your first listen all right what do you think well i think you've got me stumped on this one really it seems to be orchestral of some kind but i'm not going to go for the specific genre yet time period sounds definitely beyond the classical period it's either well into the romantic period or later i would say well into the romantic period yeah i think you got it there let's see everything else uh, i'd have to get another listen for so let's get the second listen that was your second listen uh, yeah i will go with the romantic period as the time period that's that um, is correct nail down a nationality maybe i'm surveying the map in my head right now <laughs> it's like central or eastern european could be a lot of different things oh wow so is it italian it is italian <laughs> okay. yes it is italian <laughs> <laughs> okay so this is one that i don't listen to a lot okay <laughs> uh is the composer uh verdi it is Verity. It okay. is Verity, in fact. Uh, but having to narrow down the piece might be a little bit tougher. There. Yeah, that will be tougher. Well, um, let's take our last listen here, then. Yeah, let's and... go ahead and do that. That was your final listen. We know that it is Romantic Period. We know that it's Verdi. So Verdi was pretty pretty well known for uh, for writing pretty large-scale works, but it's not a symphony. So it could be an opera, but if it was, then it would be just an instrumental section, like the overture. An overture to an opera? It is, in fact, an overture to an opera. Okay. And this is also the very opening of the work. It is the very opening. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that is really... It, it does sound like an opening, but it is quite jarring uh, especially for the time i think right. a little bit intentional there from verdi so the piece uh, is the only thing that's left verdi operas this one is my personal favorite out of them is it la forza del destino it is la forza del destino by giuseppe verdi that is correct uh, yeah it's a, a a tough one i know you don't listen to a whole lot of verdi but i know i've told you this is my favorite one before and this um I think this one definitely stands out from the rest of them, just especially with this opening. This opening, to me, has always just stood out. This is also one I performed a long time ago that left a lasting impression on me while I was in high school. So Yeah, that was a, a big hint that it was your uh, your favorite, but it wasn't too much of a hint. It was still difficult, and that was a really fun one. Definitely a really uh, bold statement from Verity here, and uh, I guess I'm just gonna have to listen to more Verity. Yeah, yeah. There's some really good stuff, and especially in this one. How about that string melody? It's so good and just so mysterious and fun. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this month we have a tie currently. Fernando with five points today, and me with five points as well from last week. That brings Fernando's total up to forty points, completely undefeated thus far. All the points for uh, 
each episode, and I'm still I'm lagging behind 33 points. I've missed uh, two points th- thus far, but it's enough to keep me well at bay, especially the weeks where I'm not guessing. So one of these weeks, I'll trip Fernando up with one of these. So <laughs> yeah, I thought you had me this time. Yeah, it was, it was it was a close one, but you pulled it out. So, well, we hope you all had fun trying to guess that lick with us. Let's go ahead and move on to today's topic. Welcome to today's topic called the episode Spotify Unwrapped 2020 and the that's been the popular media trend lately everybody's been posting their uh, their Spotify their top listen to tracks and their favorite artists from this year we wanted to do that as well as to do something to tie in with the launch of our new weekly Spotify playlist. We're really excited about these. So these playlists will include some recommended listening for each week, including listening from that episode that we'll refer you to throughout the episode, especially if we can't get the rights to play something on the show just yet, as well as some taste breaker stuff at the end, some stuff that... Um, Myself or Fernando might just throw throw in there for fun. And we're really excited about this. This could be anything from maybe a piece that we like in the classical realm that we found, or Stevie Wonder, or Mariah Carey, or anything that we could think of. So we're really excited about this. And the link is going to be in the show notes. So definitely check these out and follow the the playlist each week. And uh, we hope that you guys enjoy some of that listening. We also want to encourage listening to support artists in the era of streaming in particular because so much is taken from them financially because the cost of streaming is just not beneficial to artists, but unfortunately it's become the most popular. Right, getting people to listen. And we also uh, are able to provide you with the recordings that we prefer as well for a certain uh, orchestral works or certain yes. <laughs> uh, certain pieces that might have different interpretations. Uh, we can provide you with the ones that we enjoy, uh, and maybe you will enjoy them as well. Yeah, absolutely. And well, we're really excited about that, and to be able to share uh, the music that we really really like. With that link, will be provided in the show notes. Let's go ahead and talk about some of the world's top artists this year. I think that this is a relevant topic. Um, because uh, a lot of this music has re- relieved just insane amounts of streams on just Spotify alone, let alone sites like YouTube or things. Uh, th- this list is pretty uh, pretty crazy. So n- number one in the whole world is the artist Bad Bunny with 8.3 billion streams. What an insane number, Fernando. Yeah, it is just an incredible number 8.3 billion streams is is an insane amount and it really makes sense to me because bad bunny is a really really well-known puerto rican musician and he's doing a lot of really great stuff and all different aspects of his artistic pursuits uh he does his music is really great and his videos uh that accompany a lot of the uh a lot of the music is really really good I enjoy those a lot, and some of them can be a little bit abstract for some people, uh, but I think it's really cool, and I think the uh, the album covers are usually pretty cool. He did, a, but yeah, a lot of really great stuff from Bad Bunny, and it makes sense that why he would have such an enormous amount of uh, of streams on Spotify. Right. Yeah, and uh, he's a Puerto Rican artist, so some people in the United States might not know about Bad Money. Well, eight point three billion people do, so there's probably some people in the u.s do though but if you haven't listened definitely check it out there'll be some bad bunny in our playlist for this week so be sure to check him out and if you're unfamiliar with the genre of music that he does it's typically reggaeton which is kind of uh, a really danceable rap type genre in uh, in spanish language of course so it's a really really fun uh, genre and i really enjoy it i used to listen to it a lot when i was living in florida uh, a lot of people listen to it in florida because um, it's a, a little bit more diverse than where we currently live. So it's really, really a fun, uh, fun genre, very danceable, very, uh, listenable. So it's definitely one to check out. Bad Bunny, uh, is the artist. Absolutely. And this next one, a lot of people probably shouldn't be too shocked to see this one at number two in the top five, the artist Drake, which is, 
his music's been really big for a couple of years now, and it continues to do so, and uh, clocks in at number two in the the top five artists of 2020. Then right below that, got Jay Balvin, who is one that I don't know too much about, but that's a... Um, Kind of a kind of a shock for me at number three because I've not listened to much of J Balvin's music at all. Well, J Balvin also uh, is another one in the reggaeton genre, uh, and so he works with all, bad he works with Bad Bunny pretty frequently. Uh, they actually have an album together that came out last year, so maybe that influenced why yeah. uh, he was so popular this year. Uh, that album was Oasis, and they were uh, they were really great on that one. That's a really fun one. Uh, again. The same things that apply for Bad Bunny apply to J Balvin. Uh, just another really great reggaeton musician and a really fun one to listen to. That's really cool that two of the top five kind of fall into that category. That's really was quite unexpected for me. Yeah, and I think I think it, it probably was that album Oasis that yeah. really influenced it because that uh, that was a really big release and a lot of people were really. Uh, into that album so it makes sense for me yeah uh, definitely i was surprised to see um jay balvin make it on here as opposed to maybe an artist like billy eilish that i've seen has been really popular especially in the last year or so so that i think that that's great that jay balvin is on this list yeah it's exciting because it adds some good variety to this top five right and it it also shows you a little bit of what other people are listening to outside of the u.s because this is the global list that we pulled from um but even on the u.s list uh billy eilish was not on that list which is which is pretty surprising billy eilish being so popular nowadays Yes, for sure. And this next one at number four uh, shouldn't be a shock to most of you. Juice World here coming in at number four in the world, most streamed. Unfortunately, uh, he passed away this past year. And yeah, I think that that was probably the biggest influence. And uh, a lot of people were listening to um, to his music after uh, they heard the news. So definitely a big influence there. And uh, it's good for him to be on the list uh, posthumously. Yes, for sure. And then coming in at number five, The Weeknd. But purely because of one song, essentially the most streamed song in all of the world. 1.6 billion streams of The Weeknd's song, Blinding Lights, which you are almost certainly familiar with. Right. Yeah, very, very popular song. And it was uh, featured in a Mercedes-Benz commercial that a lot of people might be familiar with. But yeah, Blinding Lights is a uh, really good song, and The Weeknd is a really great artist. I really enjoy his music. His most recent album, After Hours, which has Blinding Lights, uh, for me, it's a little bit uh, one note. I think it gets a little bit stale throughout, but all of his music has a very specific style. It's got a really nice um, kind of 80s flavor in there, but uh, still very modern with a lot of the sounds that he uses and a lot of the um, a lot of the actual content and um, material that he's using as far as lyrics and other things go. Right, totally agree there, Fernando. Um, I, I had the same impression that it was a little bit one note, but still, I think uh, a good addition to the this top five here, just purely based off of how popular Blinded Lights has gotten. I mean, I just feel like that I hear it everywhere. When, whenever, uh, before the pandemic, there was a, it was playing at every basketball game that our university's pep band would play at. It was always playing. And yeah, I think that it, it's a, definitely a good addition to this top five. Now, I do have a question here before we move on. I was wondering, how much do you think the listening and streaming of the United States affects this global list because I'm not sure, especially with, um, with juice world, for example, I'm not sure if other people around the world are listening to him as much as the people in the United States did this year. Right. Yeah. For our global audiences here, we're based out of the United States, but our artists like bad bunny and Jay Balvin on, on this list, I, I, even though they have so many streams, a, a lot of them do come from Puerto Rico um, in, in that case and the insane amount of popularity over there. But um, artists like Drake or Juice World, I mean, I guess make it on the list for their, their U.S. influence primarily. But 
notice how they're a little bit lower in terms of streams. So, I mean, that goes to show that like the, the U.S. isn't the be-all, end-all when it comes to music. I think that a lot of people in this country tend to get bogged down with the musical tastes that, that we have here when there's just so much out there. And that's part of what we want to showcase on this episode in particular, and we'll talk about that here in a second with our uh, our classical, um, the best of classical music from 2020 on Spotify. Now, Fernando, how much of this music in the top five do you think you actually listen to on a consistent basis? Because I don't feel like I listen to to this music much at all. I think that probably the one that I listened to most was Blinding Lights, and then Juice World and uh, J Balvin and Drake hardly listen to at all <laughs> yeah i have to say uh, pretty much the same uh i listened to a good bit of the weekend and bad bunny but outside of that um some of the other ones i just don't listen to as frequently sometimes they'll come into kind of my rotation of listening but it's not very frequently and especially in a while i feel like uh drake in particular hasn't had anything that really uh was great for me like i right. that i really enjoyed so that's you know that's another factor there but there's no denying the how effective the music of these artists has to be to be on this list alone i think that oftentimes in the the classical music world and then in the realm of musicology they often will bring up this argument of good versus effective music and really that's in the eye of the beholder that's like whatever you prefer and we happen to not prefer some some of these artists, but there's no denying the influence, particularly over young people, that a lot of these artists have. And that's a really good point, too. A lot of these uh, musicians also have songs that uh, were probably heavily featured on TikTok. I'm not on that platform, <laughs> but right. uh, that's very danceable music as well. Yes. So I think that that might be another factor. I didn't really think of that until now, but it definitely is another factor. But going back to good versus effective, uh, I think that there's uh, another way to say it too, and it's affective or effective, right? Right. Affective with an A and effective with an E. Um, there's music that can make you feel something, and there's music that can make you say, yes, this is music. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know I can move along with my day. Right. Um, and so I think that that is another contributing factor of good versus effective. That's not the only factor, of course. Right. Um, but that is one of the factors. And um, as far as if these artists um, satisfy the um, the good part, the affective with mm -hmm. an A, um, I would say some of them do. I would yeah. say some of them do. Well, and to me, I think I was mentioning to somebody earlier, it was there's a couple categories for me that base what is the most affective music for me and it's kind of on a scale is it melodically effective or is it melodically affective harmonically and rhythmically the same uh i think that i guess that would total up to six categories there so mel melodically harmonically and rhythmically that's kind of what draws me in and there's a certain scale i think to each of those where it's just like yeah like this this rhythmic drive here in some of these songs was done with such care and such production, particularly in some of the rap stuff. Mm -hmm. And then the, like the bad bunny stuff. Uh, and I'm sure Jay Balvin as well, that it, it's done with such a high level of production that it's objectively good, the best in the business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's one of the really great things about some of the popular music that people in the maybe classical community overlook a little bit too much is the, the is the music production and how much uh, work that requires and how much creativity and artistry that it requires to have really great music production as well as the uh, the singer or the um, the main person that's singing and uh, and kind of the artist the well known artist you know there are a lot of people that are behind Drake for example yes. that are putting out a lot of things to help him out and be on this list and that's why for my classical music picks i kind of like one of my most listened to artists was um well we'll get to him later was actually a really creative take on modern orchestral music the way it was mixed it was uh produced really intimately and that's 
part of what drew me in so much on top of like great melodies and a, a great harmony and great rhythmic drive like i mentioned before but the that kind of creativity i think is sorely missed in the classical music community that's why i find myself going over to the other side in quotes you know uh a lot of times just because i'm looking for something a little bit different that's not just recording of an orchestra playing which is not a bad thing at all because you hear how much we (laughs) we uh we so obsess over orchestral music on this podcast and how much we have a passion for it and love it but in that realm it can get a little bit stale yeah definitely can and that's why we uh we branch out so much and into other things but before we do let's get into some of the classical music of 2020 this is the best of classical 2020 from Spotify. Uh, yeah, this is their playlist that they. And this came up is with. actually Spotify releases from this year specifically. So, the the works might not necessarily have been a ma- made this year, but the recordings were made this year, which is even more special in the year of a pandemic. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And uh, let's get right into it. Yeah, absolutely. So we found some interesting stuff in here. Spotify actually considers a lot of film and TV music to kind of fall under this category. And we had an interesting discussion uh, about this. There's some stuff that stood out to me, like Toss a Coin to Your Witcher, which is from the popular uh, Netflix series, The Witcher, based off of the Polish novels and the popular CD Projekt Red video games, as well as Let It Go from Frozen. Big shocker there. Um, that was an orchestral cover of that. Uh, Alexandre Desplat's The Score from The Grand Budapest Hotel, Joe Hisaishi's My Neighbor Totoro, the love theme from Cine Paradiso by Ennio Morricone, and the video game score of The Ghost of Tsushima, a PlayStation 4 game that launched this year, I thought was worth mentioning because that was one of the few video game scores that was on the list. But all of these kind of stood out to me as like, huh, it's interesting that some of these are consider- considered classical. Yeah, I think it is really interesting. A lot of them, I think, should have their own category, uh, especially with a lot of these other um, selections. And it, it does make me think, Do we what do we consider classical music and what does Spotify consider classical music? Um and all of those, all of those uh, categories, it, it's a very fluid genre in general, and a lot of people don't think that. Right. Um, and you'll be able to tell that from the rest of this list, I think. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, but some of these, yeah, I'm, I'm just not. Um, I think that they could have done a little bit better here, uh, and a lot of them, a, a lot of them are a little bit kind of gimmies. A lot of them are popular releases. I mean, uh, The Witcher, which was popular this year. Yeah. Uh, and then with. HBO Max uh, having Studio uh, Studio Ghibli mo- movies, uh, the Hisaishi stuff makes sense. And yes, then, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's it's just not too surprising here. I think the the really one the one that really caught my attention was the Ghost of Tsushima, and I think that that's really cool and unique, um, and possibly fits in the category. But video game music in general, I think can it I think it deserves its own category yes. uh, because it's such a diverse genre in itself. Right. Yeah, it's among the most diverse and the one that actually stood out to me, this was not video game track. This was the the Grand Budapest Hotel, the Alexandre Despot which launched years ago. So I was like it's interesting that this one ended up on the list, but I think that that the Wes Anderson films kind of have a really specific audience that remains pretty popular. But still, out of the 85 tracks included on this list, I was like, hmm, this is an interesting one to con- include. But I don't think it's bad. I, I love that that score, but definitely thought it was interesting. Yeah, those are all the tracks that really stood out to us, I think, um, as kind of odd inclusions. Yeah. Everything, yeah. Else, um, everything else that we'll mention is also um, something that stuck out to us, but something that we might think is a little bit um more fitting for the yeah. uh, best classical a little bit more of 2020. Yeah. yeah, a little <laughs> bit more appropriate for the playlist. Yeah, so there was a couple instances of the Jess Gillum ensemble uh doing a bunch of really cool covers and arrangements of different uh popular music and then some uh some other music uh some songs like uh Luke Howard's Dappled Light 
was a uh, was one that was actually at the very top of the list. I didn't couldn't tell if the list was in order at all. There wasn't really a lot of information on that. But the Jess Gillum Ensemble, she's a, a saxophone player um, known to be a prodigy. She's uh, only 22 years old, and she's just had such an incredibly successful career up until this point. I think that there was three instances of her music on that list, which is impressive. Right, definitely at least two. It was it was on there quite a bit, and the album itself was really interesting to me, and that's why I think it was definitely deserving to be on this playlist. Um, the album, like you said, has arrangements and original compositions by really diverse artists um, as far as the musical styles go. Yes, um, Bjork had, was on there. Right, <laughs> Bjork was, on, uh, was one of the included artists that she did a cover of, kind of. And then um, there was also a Tom York track from um, from a film that he did. He's actually kind of the leader of Radiohead, if you're familiar oh, with yeah. Radiohead, the mm-hmm. band. And uh, he has been producing and making music on his own recently, but he also did a film uh, soundtrack. And so she did a cover of a song from that. And then also um, a Philip Glass co- um, arrangement of Truman Sleeps. And then also uh, a an original saxophone work by Philip Glass. She played that. Uh, one of the few original works, a lot of that album is arrangements and covers mm-hmm. of other uh, musicians, but I think it, or other musicians works, but uh, it's still really, really cool to hear and a really great model for a lot of saxophone players. If you're, um, if you're interested in hearing a really great um, saxophone sound, but also in a li- maybe a little bit more popular, genre, popular styles or, um, just in a lot of different styles, I think that this is a really good album for it. Yeah, and I, if I could just say, I just love the variety of music that we're getting to talk about on this show. It's really exciting, especially in the realm of classical music. And while the film TV music that we talked about earlier, some of it maybe not necessarily fits in the genre, it's just cool that we get to discuss it. I, I, I really like getting to discuss this music so another standout and we talked about this on the um the podcast before uh, a while ago was the long long cover of box goldberg variations that was pretty big right a very significant album it is all of the goldberg variations recorded by the phenomenal pianist long long uh super well known and just a great performing musician uh one of the best soloists i think in the world um, for any instrument. He's one of my favorites to watch. He's one of my favorites to listen to. Uh, and he he is uh, he's one that I have a lot of recordings of in my playlist, my personal playlist, because uh, I really enjoy his playing. A lot of it can be um, kind of controversial in a way, uh, because he'll do kind of extremes for his interpretation sometimes. Right. Um, but I think that that makes it unique, and I think that that brings a really great... Um, a really great interpretation and intrigue and people start talking about it um when when they're talking about classical music you know i think that you can't ignore long long and i can't if there's a piano uh piece that i'm trying to find i usually look for his recordings because <laughs> uh at least it'll be at least it'll be very entertaining even right. if i disagree with the interpretation he'll do it to the maximum and it'll be very well performed uh and entertaining to listen to just quite simply. Yeah. I think that that's probably his goal when he's going about, uh, these pieces. And then especially as something as revered as box Goldberg variations. Yeah. I think that that's a pretty, um, pretty landmark album for you to listen to. And don't forget to check it out here in our Spotify playlist. Once you're done with the episode, hope you guys get a chance to listen to some of this. Another standout to me was there was a whole lot of choral music, which is something that we really don't get to discuss on the podcast enough. Um, unfortunately, just the the recordings available to us, we really just don't have a lot of choral music we get to discuss. But there was a lot of stuff. Eric Whitaker, there a couple of his works on the list, which makes a lot of sense because he kind of pioneered the whole virtual choir concept, which... 2020 more than ever has been more of a thing and i think every time i log on to social media i see a new virtual choir uh recording something so i think that a lot of people went to eric whitaker's music for inspiration yeah i think that's a really great point there's definitely been 
a big spike in virtual choirs and I think a big spike in people listening to and uh, trying to learn more about Eric Whitaker's music. And I think that's great. You know, I think that um, it's really great music and choral music in general, I think gets overlooked a lot, makes it feel like it's a niche group, but it's really a diverse and expansive genre. It's huge. Quite large. And it's one of the most participated in. We kind of live in a bubble in the band orchestra world. But the uh, the world of the choir, I mean, way more people sing than play an instrument. So that is very true. And like you said, I wish we could play some more of it um, on the show because it is really great. But a lot of it is um, a lot of it just is not um, up to our standards for recordings or is uh, copyrighted material, so we can't play it um, until we have the rights. So just unfortunate there. Yeah, but you get to listen to it on our Spotify playlist, so we'll in- include some of that for sure and then a couple other uh standout choir pieces there's a couple of pieces that i thought were pretty predictable pretty predictable in the in in the classical uh playlist the best of classical for 2020 dvorak's new world symphony his symphony number nine not shocked we were a bit shocked by the movement that was on there i think it was that third movement which kind of was like what Right, it it was the the third movement, and it was the scherzo, yeah. and it it was a little bit uh, surprising to see that that was the movement that they chose. But uh, maybe people are just clicking the wrong one, looking yeah. for the fourth <laughs> movement. I'm not sure, but the uh, the new world symphony, the new world symphony, Symphony Number no. Nine by Dvorak, uh, is a great symphony and very well known. So that'll be included on the playlist as well. But uh, you probably already know it. Yes, yeah. I wish it was a Symphony Number no. Eight, but. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Vivaldi's Four Seasons, not shocked at all. I think that that's probably been on any uh, best of classical list ever. Uh, we don't find ourselves listening to a whole lot of Vivaldi, but that's one that we're not shocked that is on the list. Uh, Nissan Dorma uh, by uh, Puccini, uh, that's that's a big one. I, I think that, uh, that that's also one of the most commonly listen to works particularly from the realm of the opera air on a g-string by j.s bach not surprised that that's that's a staple as well andrea bocelli as well his music is really really popular and he sings a lot of great operatic covers as well as other things uh, really really famous there i actually had the pleasure of seeing him live a few years ago and wow. it was it was great i i really really loved it and they did a lot of variety of uh they had orchestra on the stage but they also had uh him venture into some genres maybe a little bit more pop oriented which i thought was cool yeah that is cool and finally uh eric satie's first gymnopody which we felt kind of fell under this category of like low-key music and a lot of piano music that populated this list and i think that this is a great example of something low-key that is really quite good music and music that really excites us harmonically however i would say the vast majority of this playlist is a lot of really low energy classical pieces and piano works which is not necessarily a bad thing but it paints classical music as being kind of this one-note genre, just like we talked about maybe with some of the pop music earlier. Right, it does. And I think um, I think one of the big things is that a lot of people will look up classical music to relax to, to study to, right. whatever it is, something that will keep them focused or keep them relaxed. Which is the stereotype of the music. Right, which is the stereotype. And I think that that is very representative in this uh, in this playlist um, that's just compiled by Spotify. It's not like they made this, um, you know, as in they just handpicked whatever they liked. Uh, it's kind of compiled from the data that they have. Yes. It shows that people... Um, People are kind of playing into that stereotype and looking for music that is uh, more relaxing and more calming than they are looking for uh, big, loud symphonies. Right. There were very few of those, in fact. I think the only other big symphony that was not a piano transcription on there was a symphony of Robert Schumann. Right. Yes, Robert Schumann's first symphony. Yeah, which I was like, what? Is that the... like? 
Schumann is fine, but is that what most people are listening to of the new releases this year? Like, I get that there wasn't a lot of symphonic recordings released this year. Maybe that has something to do with it. But at the same time, there had to be some that maybe were released earlier in the year that <laughs> that I thought would definitely eclipse it in popularity. But I think that it shows that the in general the classical music population is just is sticking to their guns in a lot of ways and i think it's time to branch out a little bit which is kind of the a reason why i'm thankful for some of this tv and film music because it does branch out in that way but the there's a lot of orchestral music out there and band music as well and choral music that really push the boundaries of the genre that are really exciting that I kind of wish were on this list. Right. And to add to that, there's also chamber music that is very exciting. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned before a really great point there. There weren't a lot of possibilities or opportunities for large scale orchestras or large scale ensembles to uh, record, um, to record, you know, large scale works or, or any the kind chamber, of music. Where's the chamber works? Right. <laughs> if, but there are still very exciting chamber works that some that we've already talked about before that they could have easily recorded in a more safe environment and uh, and all of that, completely um, following any guidelines that they should be following. And I think that that definitely could have been more possible and more listened to, you know, and recorded, streamed, all of that. So. Right, you know that's that's something that I think got overlooked. I think it's the biggest oversight. I can understand why large scale symphonies and large scale orchestras oh, bands aren't recording, but I don't understand why smaller ensembles such as you know maybe a string quartet or even just a piano trio or something yeah something like that uh, couldn't have been on this list uh, in a more prominent way. Yeah, so chamber groups get on it. you got got some catching up to do because we want to want to hear some some more new releases from chamber groups in 2021 now that we're a little bit more prepared to to do something safe musically throughout the year so with that i think that that's a good segue into um, some of fernando and i's most listened to works and artists this year because we felt like that the audiences maybe didn't get haven't gotten the full picture of what we like to listen to the most and some of you might be surprised uh, when the some of the things that are on our list so we thought it'd be fun to share right yeah it w- it's gonna be a lot of fun to to get some insight we talked a lot about what we don't like about what spotify included so uh, we're really exposing ourselves and showing what, <laughs> what we did actually listen to. Right. Uh, and hopefully um, hopefully it's not too incriminating. So I think we'll start here. We'll each give our top fives, and then we'll we'll discuss some of our outliers afterwards. So I guess I'll go first here with my top five. We've already mentioned Joe Hisaishi on, on the show and today's podcast, but my number one by far most listened to work was Joe Hisaishi's Merry-Go-Round from Howl's Moving Castle, a famous anime film by Hayao Miyazaki. This is one that I listened to on repeat a good bit throughout this fall, not only for research for our film scores episode, but also... I had been watching a lot of Studio Ghibli films, and then there was one night where I was I was finding myself to having to do really really repetitive work for my my job at um at the university um we both attend, and so I put this track on repeat. The rest is history. I think I was I was constantly humming the melodies. This is from a really great um album that Joe Hisaishi made. It's his uh, Freedom Stories 4, so there's a couple other that lead up to it, but man, this, this track is so catchy, and the orchestration is so good, and I love it so, so much. So that that was that was my number one track of the year. Number two was uh, Olivia Davis's Air Waltz, which is another one that, again, that was a study track. I, <laughs> I, w- I was studying to that one, and it's really, I, 
a really unique album that it comes from. There's a there's a lot of great violin solo works on that album. Number three was Senri Kawaguchi, a prodigy Japanese drummer. Her track from one of her uh, newest albums, Buena Vista, The Phoenix is the track. And this one is one that I uh, actually uh, was arranging this year completely from ear. And so that that took a lot of uh, listening for me. But also I just found myself listening to it constantly because I thought it was a great track. Bizet's Roma which we did an episode feature on, ended up just being one that I just constantly came back to, and one really exciting. And to round out my top five, a wind band piece by Julie Giroux, One Life Beautiful. This was one at the beginning of the pandemic I was listening to a lot. So that is my top five most listened to. I can't say that there's a whole lot of shocks in here for for me. Um, Some might be surprised to see that... um, that there's not more uh, strictly orchestral music on the list, but a lot of them out right outside the top five were so. Yeah, and some uh, some works that I might have introduced to you. Yeah, the Senri Kawaguchi was one you introduced me to. The Phoenix. Uh, I I remember it was when we were first um, drawing up plans for the podcast. You were showing this to me, and so this one I have a really great memory attached to it, and one I really love a lot. Right, yeah. She's a really great drummer out of Japan, and I really enjoy her music. Uh, hoping one day maybe to see her live. We'll see if that ever oh my comes uh, comes to fruition there, but that would be incredible. Yeah, the uh, the jazz fusion stuff that she does is just so, so incredible. She has a couple albums on Spotify, but we'll definitely have the Phoenix in there for you guys to listen to. Yeah, okay. We'll go through my list now, my top five list. And so my top five, I'm going to go in reverse order. We're going to start at number five. Oh, really? Okay. Build up the hype here. <laughs> uh, so number five is George Antile's Sonata for Trumpet and Piano. The first movement, I was playing um, the first three movements for my um, trumpet recital. I was playing it for my trumpet recital this semester. So that one, of course, was in my rotation a lot. But I also really like George Antile's music. And it is uh, very, very interesting. If you haven't heard it, um, definitely check it out and maybe even check out the video that goes along with uh, Ballet Mécanique. Yes. If you can watch Ballet Mécanique and listen to it, it is a really, really fun work and it might be a little bit too abstract for some people, but <laughs> it's right up my alley. I really love watching it and listening to it uh, enough to actually buy his autobiography. He's coined uh, his own nickname and uh, he's nicknamed himself the bad boy of music. Uh, so if that gives you any indicator of to what his music sounds like, um, you you know it must be interesting. Uh, so I really like that one. I like this. Uh, I like his trumpet sonata, and that's why I played it. Uh, the next on my list, number four, Michael Kamen's "New Moon in the Old Moon's Arms," <laughs> and this one is a work that I was actually exposed to through drum corps. Um, I never marched, but I enjoy watching it. Uh, and so I heard Phantom Regiment play it in 2010. Yes. And they um, they played it phenomenally. And so I said, I need to check out the rest of this work. Uh, <laughs> and so I have been patiently waiting for Spotify to put it onto, uh, onto their platform. It was on YouTube for a while, but the album was not on Spotify. And I think it was this year or maybe last year. Uh, it was finally put onto Spotify. And so I've been listening to that a whole <laughs> bunch. It is uh, a phenomenal work. Michael Kamen, we've talked about in the film scores uh, episode. And uh, if you're interested in learning more about him, then you can check that one out. But that one is, is really a really cool orchestral work um, that not a lot of people might be familiar with, but definitely worth checking out. I really like the, uh, the final movement kind of has all Gorgeous. of the variations in it. It's a really good one. Okay. Number three on the list, Rachmaninoff's Rhapsody on a theme of Paganini. The 18th variation was specifically the track that was on my um, in my top five listen to tracks. Uh, and the 18th variation happens to be the really slow and lyrical one that really, really pulls on the heartstrings. Uh, I've already talked about how much I love Rachmaninoff before, but, uh, but just the harmonies and the melody in this one really, really um, grab a hold of me. And I just love listening to it. It's a <laughs> it's a hard one for the pianist, but definitely 
uh, one that I just love listening to, and one that is recorded, the recording I listen to, uh, is uh, actually with Long Long, who we've talked about just recently yeah. on this episode. So uh, I listen to his recording, and I think it's just phenomenal. It's really great. Number two on the list, one that might be unfamiliar to a lot of people, Charles Reskin's Sonata for Trumpet and Piano, movement number one. And this one is another work that I actually played recently. Uh, I played it in the spring of this year, and it was a doozy. It was a hard one, but it was so much fun to play. Uh, and it was really, um, really a great piece to play for me because it was really technically demanding in a lot of sections, but still lyrically expressive and something that I could really get into. So uh, I really liked that one. I played that one in the spring. And if you're unfamiliar with it, I definitely highly recommend checking it out because uh, if you're a trumpet player, maybe you can play it. And uh, if you're not, you can just enjoy the really beautiful uh, sounds of the trumpet and the piano. Okay, number one <laughs> on my list. Something orchestral, right? Yeah, well, it would seem like it. I've got a lot of classical music in my top five, but it is not orchestral. It's actually Thundercat. Oh, wow. <laughs> the Yes, the artist and musician, the bass player, Thundercat, is my number one artist uh, that I listen to. And uh, specifically, I listen to the album Drunk. Uh, that was the one that I listened to the most frequently throughout this year. And for a good reason, it is a really, really well done album. Uh, it's got all kinds of influences, um, but it's very funky and groovy. And uh, Alex knows this uh, about me a lot. I love music that uh, really has a, a groove to it, a really good uh, funk to it, but is also kind of playful and silly. And I think that Thundercat really nails it for me. Uh, being a bass player, of course, it's got great bass lines, and oh, that yeah. just contributes to the groove of his music. So, of course, uh, that, well, surprisingly to some people, um, that might be surprising to some people, but Thundercat is my number one listened to artist. Uh, and Drunk is the album that I listen to a lot. He also has a new album, It Is What It Is. That one was scattered throughout as well, but uh, and Drunk is a little bit older, but uh, I really love both of them. I just ended up listening to Drunk a little bit more, or maybe a lot a bit more. <laughs> wow, that that is such a varied and great list. I mean, I, I remember when you sent me your top five songs, once we got the Spotify wrapped, I was just, man, I, w I was listening to thundercat all the rest of that day as well as came in and rachmaninoff antile's another one that you really got me into this year in fact his jazz symphony was close to my top five pretty close one of my most listened to pieces of the whole year it's a great combination of gershwin and um stravinsky which uh we both really really appreciate yeah, but what what a great, fantastic top five you have here, Fernando. Definitely check out some Thundercat. We'll put some Thundercat in the um, in the Spotify playlist for this week, but definitely check out some Thundercat. Fernando's number one because really, really fantastic group there. Yeah, fantastic musician. Really, really good. Okay, so what do you want to move on to next, Alex? Well, I guess we could talk uh, about some of our honorable mentions here. Um this, I think, for the both of us, kind of shows off some of the variety more in our tastes. But for me, a lot of Joe Hisaishi's music ended up creeping towards the top. Uh, music from his Laputa, Castle in the Sky, and Princess Mononoke were like just outside my top five. Now, I mentioned this one earlier. That my Actually, one of my top artists this year he didn't have a particular track that ended up in my top five but yasunoro nishiki another japanese composer uh he composed the score most recently for the famous final fantasy 7 remake but i didn't listen to a whole lot of that i'm not super nostalgic for those games but the score from the video game octopath traveler kind of a lesser known a video game made by Square Enix, the creators of Final Fantasy. But they did something super creative with the score that has kept me coming back to this game. And it's this really unique the recording technique that they use. They will record 
each section of the orchestra completely separately in a, in a recording studio. So they'll have a string section record one day, then the next day the brass record, and the next day the woodwinds record, and then the percussion, and so on and so forth, and then maybe some unique instruments thrown in there. Actually, a, quite a lot of unique instruments thrown into this video game score. But, so then they mixed them all to where it still, each section still retains the same presence that they would have in their individual recordings. So it's a really intimate setting where usually in orchestral recordings, it's like, yeah, the brass sound like that they're behind the rest of the orchestra. No, it sounds like everybody is right there in front. And it's such a cool recording technique. But what this score does so well is the great melodies that are featured throughout the score and the fantastic instrumentation and orchestration that was done with this recording technique in mind. Octopath stands for uh, eight paths, I guess, and there are eight different main characters you can play as, and they each have their own great leitmotif that goes with them, similar to Wagner or John Williams. They're just fantastic and so well done. So I found myself listening. I kept coming back to that score a whole lot. And I, I could keep talking about that one forever. <laughs> but that was one that really stood out to me as a unique section of classical music. That just I kept, I kept talking to Fernando about this one because it was really exciting to me. Right. And this is a great example of video game music being classical music in a lot of cases. Um, but also being its own thing. I think, especially with the recording technique, I think it stands out as uh, decidedly different than a lot of orchestral recordings and um, a lot of recordings that we frequent and uh, a lot of recordings that we talk about. So that's a really great one. Anything else you want to drop in the honorable mention category? Yeah, I'll drop a few of these. This year was a big exposure to a lot of great symphonies for me, particularly the symphonies of Johann Halthwartzen, who we talked about way back in our Nordic Composers episode and one of our top 100 Composers episodes, his first and second symphonies in particular. Man, if Tchaikovsky kept writing uh, symphonies, this is what they'd sound like. They're really, really fantastic. I've mentioned George Antile's Jazz Symphony, Rimsky-Korsakov's Fantasia on Serbian Themes. When we were recording our fifth episode, our second edition of Top 100 Composers, this is one I frequented a lot. The Banks of Green Willow by George Butterworth, a British composer. When I was kind of on a Wraith Vaughn Williams kick, this was one that I came across, and it's really great and really similar to that. One more British composer, Arnold Bax, which is one that I really dove into towards the latter months of this year. Another British composer um, after Wraith Vaughn Williams, and wow, fantastic. I listened a lot to his Fourth Symphony and great uh, BBC Philharmonic album with all of the symphonies in there and then some ones recommended by fernando that really really uh, stood out to me um fernando got me listening to a lot more bartok particularly his dance suite fantastic scriabin's second symphony oh my gosh particularly that finale just really really gets me every time and really really fantastic works there so you can see a lot of my influence was in terms of listening this year was actually from recommendations from Fernando. Yeah. And it's great to see Scriabin getting some love, especially for his symphonic works. Most people know him for his piano works, but his symphonic works are very, very interesting and, and outstanding works in the symphonic uh, literature, I think, because they're just so unique and they're, they're so in his, his own specific style. Absolutely. And that's what I love so much about those works. And I was really glad that, you exposed me to uh, starting with that uh, piano concerto in F sharp minor. Oh my gosh, like so great. So yeah. can't thank you enough for that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're welcome. All right. So going to outside of my top five, kind of the honorable mentions for me, um, some more orchestral music here. Uh, William Walton's Crown Imperial. We've talked about that one and how much I like that. Neruda's concerto in E flat major, originally for Corno de Caccia. Um, but most recent or most typically played on the trumpet nowadays because the corno de caccia is not exactly an instrument people are majoring in in colleges. Um, those are kind of the uh, more orchestral ones, along with Britain's Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra. Uh, that one's one that I frequent quite a bit. And so some that are not as orchestral or classical, 
Uh, we've also got Senri Kawaguchi on my list, also the Phoenix. Um, that one, uh, I introduced that, her to you, but I did not listen to her as much, I guess. Um, <laughs> well, you weren't trying to transcribe it, so <laughs> that was part of mine. Good point. Good point. Uh, Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over Troubled Water. I was actually trying to play that one on piano, um, and so that's why I was listening to that so much. Bobby McFerrin's Whalers from the album Vocabularies. If you haven't heard that album, it is an excellent one. Bobby McFerrin, a phenomenal vocalist, uh, and he is one that I just have fallen in love with. He takes a lot of influences from um, all over the world, and this album really showcases that. Uh, I think it does it really, really well. So Whalers is a really great one uh, from Vocabularies by Bobby McFerrin. Uh, and then we've also got Radiohead. We've talked a little bit about Radiohead. Uh, I'm a big fan of Radiohead. Everything in its right place is the track that I listen to a lot um, from the album Kid A. Uh, another really great one. A little bit, uh, a little bit dated, I suppose, on my listening. Most of them are from a little bit ago or a lot of bit ago. So, <laughs> so that shows that. And then we've also got a wind band recording as well. Um, Percy Granger's Lincolnshire Posey. Uh, is another one that I frequent Which quite a bit. Which recording is that? Is that Dallas Wind Symphony? It is the Dallas Wind Symphony okay. recording. So uh, that's the one that I listen to the most frequently, and I guess that's the one that will be on the Spotify playlist that we create. Yeah. Oh, what a great, uh, what a great recording of the Dallas Wind Symphony playing like it's your posy. That's one of my favorites. Right. So while we're talking about um, specific people recording, do you want to talk about some of the artists that showed up on our list the most frequently? Yeah, I think they were pretty similar at the top of our list because I think we both had classical performance and orchestra as our very top of our top five genres, right? which kind of go hand in hand with each other. Makes sense. But then our, the, less the, the rest of our list kind of diverge where I have show tunes. I don't know where that came from. Marching band also don't know where that came from and big band makes sense versus your pop hip-hop and indie jazz it's interesting how these genres kind of get separated and maybe some of these genre headings aren't as accurate as (laughs) as led to believe because i don't there's i don't can't really think of anything on my list that's show tunes (laughs) right yeah isn't that interesting i don't i'm not i'm not sure how they categorize things in spotify in their system but they have um i I think mine is pretty accurate pop and hip-hop and indie jazz yeah yours is more accurate than mine i think right and i'm but i'm curious what qualifies as indie jazz right right i I obviously understand i guess maybe thundercat maybe yeah but 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 then you think it'd be higher on your list yeah so it should be higher yeah i'm not not sure but the um but yeah Indie jazz is a, is a really fun one that I was surprised to see on my list. And show tunes is a really fun one to see on your list as well. I don't know where yeah, that came from. Yeah, I don't know where that came from either. Maybe it came from a musicals episode, but none of those ended up on my list. Like, even close. Right. Yeah, that's I a good think. point. So I don't, I don't know what's going on there. Right. But some, uh, if we want to talk about uh, generally our top artists, I think that that was an interesting list. My top artist actually ended up being Joe Hisaishi. I ended up, um, Spotify gave me this cool message that was in the top 3% of uh, Joe Hisaishi listeners, so I will wear that with a badge of honor. But it makes sense with the, you mentioned earlier, I think the HBO Max um, putting all the Hayao Miyazaki Studio Ghibli movies on there really led the charge for that getting a whole lot more popular this year, so... Yeah, it makes sense that a lot of people were listening to that. Joe Hisaishi, Yasunoru Nishiki with Octopath Traveler. Uh, Pavo Jarvi, uh, the conductor because of the air waltz um, that Olivia Davis. Um, and then the London Symphony and the BBC Philharmonic, which my, my top five artists kind of confused me because I felt like that the Berlin Philharmonic typically makes an appearance in that top five or the chicago symphony so i have a little bit different of one this year and i think it's because of the amount of british music that i listened to this year right i think the amount of british music influenced the uh, the recording artist for you uh for me it kind of stayed pretty typical um my number one artist like we've talked about before was thundercat and then my number two was leonard bernstein a conductor that i really look up to and really like to listen to his recordings so uh, it makes sense there and I usually seek out his recordings amongst yeah. all of the orchestral music. <laughs> I, I usually look for the Bernstein recordings because 
Uh, I typically enjoy his interpretation. Sometimes they can be a little bit um, out there. Yes. But, and some people don't enjoy them. I typically do. So Leonard Bernstein is my number two artist um, for recordings. And then Long Long, like we talked about before, makes sense. I listen to a lot of his music uh, or his in- recordings of music. And <clears throat> number four, Valerie Gergiev, who is another conductor. Uh, some people might not know him, but I think most people in the orchestral community will know him. Pretty well known. Uh, another conductor that I really enjoy watching, really enjoy listening to, uh, and really enjoy his interpretation. So uh, another one that after Bernstein, I'll usually look for uh, Gergiev yeah. or some of the conductors that aren't on this list, but I'll also look for Dudamel um, or somebody of the sort. I mean, you have Pavo Jarvi on there. I'll look at, uh, look for Jarvi as well sometimes. Yeah. It depends on uh, on what what kind of music it is. Um, Simon Rattle is another one that I would look for. It all depends on the style of music. For most of the music that I look for that I want specific interpretations, I'm looking for Bernstein or Gergiev, apparently. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and Gergiev's orchestra, the Marinsky Orchestra. Right, and number five ends up being the Marinsky Orchestra because because of Gergiev and because of that influence there. So that's my top five artists. Yeah, I I was really ex- excited about Fernando's top five. If, in fact, it got me listening to Marinsky that week when when um, all of that was released, because I really I do agree that Gergiev has some really stellar interpretations as well as Bernstein. Obviously, um, I think that both of us tend to go to Bernstein first when we uh, are looking for recordings of a piece, but. Gergiev as well, a really, really fantastic conductor. I think that this has been interesting for the both of us because we not only kind of get to look back at what we have spent most of the year listening to, but also just to see the, um, like how our listening, especially in the classical realm and the pop realm compares to the rest of the world, because I, I think that we were kind of outliers in a lot of ways. And, as with most, I'm, um, everyone has unique taste and it just goes to show that that um, there's just so much variety out there in music right now. And it's just waiting to be discovered out there in a lot of cases. Right. And, uh, and I think the list also shows that we both have very diverse tastes, um, even though our common thread is kind of orchestral music. Right. Um, you know. I tend to listen to apparently more indie jazz um, <laughs> and other things like that, <clears throat> like Thundercat, but also have a, a pretty heavy dose of orchestral music. And then, uh, and then you tend to listen to more video game, film, um, you know, that kind of music, as well as uh, some other things that I wouldn't listen to as much. And uh, you have a little bit more wind band on yours as well as my, uh, than compared to mine. So it's just slight differences here and there that. Um, that showed the diversity between our listening, and I'm sure um, everybody's everybody that is listening has a very different taste. So I hope you enjoyed hearing about our lists. Yeah, um, I know it's not the it can't it might not be the most interesting to some people, but uh, we found it really interesting because of all of these differences between our own lists and between what we saw from Spotify and the um, the kind of overarching data. Uh, data. Right, so be sure to hit shuffle on our playlist uh, for this week. It'll be um, launching in the uh, description of the episode because there's going to be a whole lot of variety on here. We'll, we have Taylor picked some music for you guys to listen to, particular recordings, as well as um, uh, a lot of different uh, variety on this list. Anything from... Yasunori Nishiki's video game music to Thundercat to the Reskin Trumpet Sonata. I also find it funny that a lot of your uh, your top listening ended up being pieces that you performed. That shows you're a very diligent student. And, <laughs> <laughs> yes. and, uh, I think it is a big influence. You know, whatever music that you're performing or even the mood you're feeling. I think nowadays... want to perform. Right, or just want to perform. That's a really good point. Yeah. So... You know, all of those different factors go into what we're listening at the time, and it's cool to see our music taste over time. Uh, and we uh, privately we compared our lists from this year to previous years to see kind of uh, where we were last year or in the years before that. But uh, but definitely, what the music that you're performing or the moods that you're feeling uh, can totally influence what you're listening to and 
and that's such a big factor in this. That's why kind of why I listen to Thundercat so much because <laughs> uh, I needed kind of that mood boost. And I think that that uh, really helped me out. And aside from that, Thundercat's just a great musician. And I just enjoy his music. Right. Oh, I, I'm totally with you there. So we hope that you guys enjoyed this. And please don't forget to check out our Spotify playlist for this week's episode. I hope that you guys uh, find some of that interesting and some of that fun. Hopefully it can brighten your mood in this uh, in this uncertain time. But we, we've really enjoyed doing something like this. And be sure to tune back in uh, next Monday for some more of the Leading Tone podcast. But... We've had a great time and hope you guys have it as well. All right. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk at you next week. Link in the description for the playlist. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Leading Tone Podcast. You can email us at theleadingtonepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on social media at the Leading Tone Podcast with no spaces on Instagram and the Leading Tone Podcast on Facebook. Thanks again, and tune in next Monday for more of the Leading Tone Podcast.